I want to read to you this morning out of the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, the 32nd chapter. I'm going to be reading to you 26 verses. That's a lot. That's at least double, if not triple or quadruple, what I normally read to you. Uh, so I don't do it lightly. But I think as I read, I think you will see uh, that it is necessary for the conclusion uh, of what we need to accomplish today. So here we go. Hang on for the ride. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that, you, that, that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all of the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. He had fashioned it with a particular tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people were er rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, they have sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God, by saying, O Lord, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remembering your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and he burned it in the fire. And then he ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. 
He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you would lead them in such a great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron said. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. And for this uh, fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whatever, Whoever has any gold, jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me uh, the gold. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild, and that Aaron had led them out of, let them get out of control, and they would become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp, and he said these words, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There is an expression that is said sometimes when there is something obvious within a group that people are not wanting to talk about. And someone might say, you know, well, let's talk about the elephant that's in the room. Have you ever heard that expression? Well, folks, there's a cow in our sanctuary. A golden cow in our sanctuary. And, uh, wow, I don't know how that makes you feel to come to church and see a, a golden cow. Um, makes me feel sort of weird, does it you? Because it's not one of the symbols of the church. And here's a little secret, it's really not gold. It's really not Paper mache and a little bit of gold paint, that's all it is. But it is symbolic of something that is in the room with us. And it speaks to something that we all live with, whether personally or corporately as a church. You know the story much better than I even. Moses had been through an awful lot to lead the people out of Egypt. You know all the stories about his calling and him rescuing the people, all the plagues and the Pharaoh and all the fighting and fussing and um, crossing of the, of the sea. And you know all those stories. They had been through all of that. And when they got through all of that, then they got to a place in the wilderness and they just went round and round and round, almost lost in a wilderness. And then Moses goes up on top of this mountain. And he's up there a long day. Elsewhere in the scriptures it says that he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. You've heard that expression before when it rained, you know, the great flood. And that's an expression in the scriptures that really just means not literally 40 days and 40 nights, but uh, a long, long time. So long that the people of Israel began to wonder about Moses would he ever be back? Because, you know, it's perilous climbing a mountain. There's a lot of different ways you can have an accident. Uh, there are wild beasts in that area, and certainly that happened to people from time to time. And who knows what could have happened to Moses. But the scriptures are pretty clear. The people became restless. He was their leader. Joshua was with him. He's second in command. And their leaders are gone. They're not there. How, what are we to do? 
Well, left to their own uh, selves to function, they don't do really well. Because they quickly identify Aaron as next in command and say, Aaron, Aaron, lead for us. Do something for us. Make us a God to go before us. So Aaron then says to all the people of Israel, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Well, I don't know about you, but I can remember years ago, (laughs) telling my age, I guess, a little bit, but I remember back in the 60s and 70s when guys started wearing earrings. Remember some of you? Remember that. Guys started wearing earrings. It was a weird thing. It was different. And I never did allow my boys to wear earrings. I always told them I thought it was a girl thing. And I said, if you're going to wear the the earrings, you've got to wear the bra and the panties that go with it. That's what we told them. My wife's sitting right there. She'll say an amen. We did. But you can clearly see the people of our age are really no different than the people of way back years ago because the guys were wearing earrings way back then. That's what they did. Aaron said, give me your gold, bring it on, give it here, give it up, I want it. And he melts it down and most likely, most of the scholars agree that there was some sort of uh, wooden image that went back to some other territories. That was the the image of uh, of a calf. And that he, in essence, gold plated it, uh, covered it, with, uh, with gold. It says with a particular tool that he used, which we think was something of a little bit of a hammer, that uh, because gold is soft and it is easily uh, manipulated when heated, uh, most likely something like a hammer was used. And he plated this thing and he made it into a god. Built an altar for it to sit upon and then called for a festival and proclaimed that this really is the god that led us out of Egypt. This is the God who's brought us this far. Bow down and worship. And so they do. They worship the cow. And not only did they worship, they offered sacrifices to this thing. They then sat down and ate uh, and drank. And it says they then got up to indulge in revelry. Well, revelry is just another word, most of the scholars believe, for sexual misconduct. That's what they did. And that's the scene that God starts talking about to Moses. Moses is up on the mountain. He and God are having a conversation. And God is saying, look here, Moses. Your people have really gone bad. They've really done it now. They're making me mad. I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry. They have made a cow to worship. And they've done all these despicable things that are not pleasing in my sight because I'm giving you this tablet, and on the tablet the second commandment says, thou shalt have no graven images, and that's exactly what they've gone and done. Moses realizes that God is really, really peeved, and he's fixing to do something about it. And so he intervenes. He says, hey, Lord, hey, hold on just a second. Come on, you put me in charge of these folk down there, and hold on, don't get so angry. Don't be angry about this. Don't be so mad. Um... Just let me go down and talk to them. And so the Lord God does, the scriptures say, relent or reconsider. 
and sends Moses on his way. Moses gets down to close to the bottom of the mountain. He begins to hear this, uh, this noise. Joshua's with him saying, oh, it must be the sound of war. They've been battling. They've been fighting. Had to defend themselves. And Moses says, no, no, no. I know the sound of victory. I know the sound of defeat. And it's not either one of those. That's the sound of some sinning going on. That's what he says. Then he gets down there and sees the golden cow and sees that thing, sees what they're doing and wow, he gets caught up in the moment. His anger gets away from him to such an extent that he probably does the very same thing that he chastised the Lord God for doing. He got mad as could be and therefore he threw the, uh, the tablets down, broke them to pieces and went in and do you think he began to clean house? He sure enough did. He began to get righteous with them, let us say. Got righteous to the place where he pulled Aaron inside and he said, Aaron, what in the world possessed you to do this thing, to lead these people to such evil? Why did you do that? No, Aaron basically says, well, <laughs> you know these people, they're prone to evil. It's their fault. They're prone to evil. They're just going to do these things from time to time. And they gave me this uh, gold and I put it into the, the furnace and whoop, out came a miracle. It just happened, God. I, I don't know. It just happened. Well, that doesn't suit Moses real well. And Moses is pretty clear about it, that he has led them into sin. And he realizes the people are out of control, out of control. And he sees then that it's a time for somebody to step in and say, hey, no more. This has got to stop. And he says, all of you, for whoever is for the Lord, come with me. Whoever is for the Lord, come with me. I went to... Uh, Cokesbury this last week, had to pick up some uh, resources for uh, the church. Have any of you ever been to the Cokesbury bookstore in downtown Nashville? Some of you? A few of you have. Yeah, a few of you have. Well, you, you who have been know that when you go to the Cokesbury bookstore, it is downtown, okay? And everything that's downtown you see when you go to the Cokesbury bookstore. Well, we preachers for many, many, many years have not been very pleased because, you know, we don't like having to go downtown and be confronted with a whole lot of junk. And right directly across the street from the Cokesbury bookstore is, guess what? A house of ill repute. Some people call it a, 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 a strip joint. Right across the street. We have never, ever been pleased that that was there. So I went downtown, and guess what? There's a new convention center being built. And every single one of those businesses are gone. I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I knew you'd get them one day. You did. You see, we don't think that a house of ill repute will bring the Cokesbury bookstore much business. You know, we just don't think those kind of folks are going to come wanting to buy religious books. So we're really glad that it's gone. A convention center, maybe it will bring us some better business. We hope that's the case. But I got down there, and I was inside talking and 
talking to the manager there, who's a friend of mine, Ann Cardi, and standing there talking about resources and different things, and all of a sudden the building began to shake. And there was this huge boom, and boom, the thing was shaking. I thought, I'm fixing to die. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. Well, everybody else is walking around like, oh, it's no big deal. They're just uh, blasting some dynamite across the street. I said, do you know that that can't be good for your building? The whole place shook. They said, yeah, probably not, but there's nothing much we can do about it. I said, well, you know, when things in your world go boom and start to shaking, it makes you, I guess you say it gets your attention. Get your attention. December the 16th, 1811. State of Tennessee was one of those places that now we're called the Bible Belt. And it's because we're considered that we have, uh, you know, very conservative and, and, uh, and deep-founded uh, beliefs. But on December the 16th of 1811, Tennessee wasn't that way. Many, many, many uh, uh, preachers had come and gone and, and were trying to preach the gospel, and they weren't getting much, uh, much success. There were basically three denominations. The Methodists were one of them, Baptists the other, and there was yet uh, the Presbyterians. The three of us were about the only uh, organized religions here in the state of Tennessee at that time, and uh, none of us were doing very well. And it's because people were not in tune with God. They were in tune with other things. And on that date of December the 16th, 1811, the world started shaking. And there was a great earthquake that struck the whole southeastern region, but particularly Tennessee. It was the day the Mississippi River flowed backwards, you know. And it was also the day that Realfoot Lake was formed from the backwaters that, 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 that flowed into that area. And do you know that when the world started shaking, people started getting religion? Do you know that? The Methodist Church reported at the end of 1812, one year after the earthquake, the Methodist Church reported a 50% increase in membership. Our world's been shaken. And our world is continually being shaken. Sometimes by earthquakes, other times not. The church in this day and age stands in need of a shaking because there are sacred cows that we have allowed to exist in church life. They're not visual like this one, but it's things that are made to be sacred that do not really point to God, but yet we have convictions of those things as if it's religious fervor. And the day has come when it's time for us to acknowledge that sacred cows exist and it's time that we do something about them. Sacred cows. What are sacred cows? Well, one of the sacred cows that we have is a thing called, we always... They've done it this way. We've done things a certain way over the years. You know, we Methodists are methodical. 
But we've done things a certain way, and because we've done them a certain way, then we've decided that God can't do it any other way. And it's not really God saying that. It's us saying that. I use a lot of material from Zig Ziglar. I like him. In my sermons, I use him quite extensively, as a matter of fact. His wife, Joan, was, um, when they first married, uh, he came home one evening and he had won a, a country ham. And he said to his wife, Joan, hey, I want you to cook this ham for me. And so she said she would. Well, she immediately took it to the kitchen, cleaned it up a little bit, and she chopped the short end of it off. He said, hey, <laughs> what are you doing chopping the end of that, that ham off for? That's good ham right there. Why are you chopping it off? She said, well, that's how you cook a ham. He said, well, how do you know that's the way you cook the ham? Well, my mother taught me to do it this way, and that's the way you do it. He said, well, why? Why are we doing it this way? She said, well, I don't know. He said, well, let's call your mom and find out. Obviously, there's a reason. So they call mom. Hey, mom. When you're cooking a ham, when you're baking a ham, why is it that you cut the end of it off and, uh, and, and then put it in the oven and, and cook it? She said, well, I really don't know. She said, uh, the reason I do it is because my mother taught me to do it that way, and, and I've just always done it that way. That's how you cook a ham. Well, Granny was still alive, and so they said, well, let's call Granny. Surely Granny will know the answer to the question. So they do. They call Granny. Granny, hey, we're fixing to cook a ham and know that you taught my mother how to cook a ham and she's taught me how to cook a ham and that you, you, you cut the, the short end of it off before you put it in the oven and just wondering, why is it that you do that? She said, well, it's pretty clear. I know exactly why you do that. I have the answer for you. She said, the pan that I had to cook hams in was too big for a whole ham, so I cut a portion of it off so it fit. And two generations later, without knowing why, they're doing the same thing, even though they got bigger pans. Silly, isn't it? Yet in church life, we do the same thing. We do things and we don't even know why sometimes. Why are we doing what we're doing? Does it give God the praise that we want God to have? That's the answer to the question. You heard about the preacher who um, got a new appointment. He went to this new appointment and was preaching one Sunday morning, first Sunday there, and he realized that when they stood up to sing the doxology, they stood up and they all turned around and faced the back wall. Sang the doxology, turned back around, sat down. He had never heard of that. And so it was his first Sunday. He didn't really want to raise, you know, too many questions on his first Sunday out. And so he sort of let it go, thought, well, maybe it was just something they were going to do today, and who knows. Well, second Sunday he preached, they did the very same thing. Stood up, turned around, faced the back, and sang the doxology. So then he decided on Monday, you know, I need to find out what's going on with this deal. That's really silly. That's really strange. Uh, what's going on with this? So he asked around, hey, why do we do this? Well, nobody knew. He asked the church council chair. He asked the lay leader. He asked it. other people. Nobody knew. Why do we do this? Somebody ended up coming along and saying, Hey, I bet Aunt Sadie can tell us. She's been here all her life. 
So he went to Aunt Sadie. Hey, Aunt Sadie, tell me, tell me, tell me, why is it that when we stand up to sing the doxology, everybody turns around and faces the back wall? He said, well, I know the answer to that. The very simple answer to that. She said, when the church was built in 1927, she said, we didn't know the doxology, and so they painted the doxology on the back wall. We would all turn around to sing the words of the doxology and then we would turn back around after we were through. The church had been painted six times. Six times and they were still turning around. Nobody knew why. You, You see, it gets silly. It gets silly, doesn't it? Well, what is it that we in the church do? That's a sacred cow not really necessary to be who God wants us to be, but yet we do them anyway. This church is pretty good because in a lot of congregations, a lot of sanctuaries you go into, you cannot touch or move anything. Most of you are noticing today that we have a little bit of a different setup here than uh, probably what you've ever had before. I don't know if you've ever done this before or not, but... Most folk aren't real concerned about where things are in here. There's a few people in the church who feel like they have to be conferred with before anything is moved, but I'm getting over them. And, you know, we have this thing called a bulletin. This thing called a bulletin. If you think this is not a sacred cow, Then you just show up one day and we don't have one. And let me tell you what, they'll be lined out my office. If we make a mistake in here, oh, do you think I hear about it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we try real hard not to make mistakes, but we're human and we make mistakes from time to time. And you know what I think it is? I think there's computer gremlins. Because we check this thing and then I show up on Sunday morning. It's like, oh, how did that get there? A sacred cow? Yeah. It's a sacred cow. Is it worth the time and the money and the attention and everything we give to it when we could be giving to the Lord? Why are we doing what we're doing? I don't know. And the same is true with me. I have to ask myself the same question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? For example, um, We live in a culture right now that's not the culture of 30 years ago, 40 years ago, or 50 years ago. We live in a culture that's different and distinctly different. And I have to ask myself, if I am doing something that would prevent someone else from coming to this church, am I willing to sacrifice that? Am I willing? Now, mind you, I earned the right and the, and, the, and the privilege of wearing this robe. I went to school, paid a lot of money. I've been through the Board of Ordained Ministry, and boy, you just don't know. I've earned the right to wear this robe. She knows. She knows what I had to go through. I've earned the right to wear this robe. But folks, if this robe is keeping people from coming and being part so that they will think that a pastor can relate to who they are, 
then I have to be willing to take it off. I have to be willing to give it up. I have to be willing to say, it's been good, it's been real, just not real good because they're real hot. (laughs) They're hot. But I have to be willing to give. I have to be willing to sacrifice even what I've known for my whole adult life so that the good of God's kingdom may come. Are you willing to do that? I'm willing to do it. Moses got to the people and he said to them, because they were running amok, because they had a sacred cow, because they were living in sin with their sacred cows, are we willing to do what it takes, anything that it takes, to care enough about others out there in the world so that they too who are lost could be found? Is it more important for me to maintain my traditions and my customs and be so satisfied in that and leave the rest of the world out there to be lost? Is that where we are? I hope not. I hope not. Because there's a world out there that's lost. And I expect us to be willing to do whatever it takes to help them find and experience the gospel anew. So Moses said to them, Hey, I know a bunch of you are out there running wild and crazy, but those of you who will, you come with me and come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. We need to be able to say to our world that we're not going to live with sacred cows And we're not going to have sacred cows. Sacred cows are not healthy and good. And the only way I know of is to rid ourselves of the sacred cows. Now, to come to Christ and to the New Testament era, the the Christian era, it is to come to the cross. And most of you know, some of you are visiting today, but most of you know that uh, up underneath the cross is a baptistry where we do baptisms, immersions. And folks, you've got to come to a place where you're willing to say, I'm going to take the sacred cows. I'm going to take the sacred cows. I'm going to get rid of them. And I'm going to come to the cross and I'm going to place the sacred cow where it belongs. At the foot of the cross. Wouldn't you? God calls us to be a people who would have a living faith, who would not put hope or trust in a sacred cow. God calls us to be a people to respond and reach out and touch and and involve others and bring others into the church, to bring others into the, the sanctuary, the safe place for the soul. God calls us to make a difference in somebody else's life. Who's going to throw away the sacred cows? Come with me and offer themselves to the Lord. Let's pray.
Kind, gracious, loving God, there's so many sacred cows in our midst. And Lord, help us and empower us to be able to name them for what they are and be able to recognize what it is that we need to do to be the church alive, living, thriving, being in the love of Christ so that others in this world might know the love of Jesus is in our hearts. That's what I want to do, O Lord. I want to invite the love of Christ to be made known in this world. And I want you to empower through the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit each and every person here to to shed away those things that prevent them and preclude them from really being the church so that we might stand out in faith and in love, in joy and in peace. Lord, we thank you for moving in our midst today and know and trust that you're going to help us to go forward from here and be a new creature in Christ Jesus. That there is nothing that is truly of the earth that's more important than that which is of the Spirit and the kingdom. Help us this day to recognize the difference. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.